0: Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. I'm going to be joined shortly by my co-host, Randall Jacobs, for another episode of In the Dirt. Before we get started, I need to thank this week's sponsor, Hammerhead, and the Two Computer. Hammerhead's been a long-term sponsor of the show, and you probably have recalled me mentioning that when you use the code THEGRAVELRIDE at hammerhead.io and add a custom color kit and a free water bottle into your cart, you're going to get those items in free in addition to your crew computer that you'll be purchasing. Well, I finally got my custom color kit, and I had an opportunity to install it, and I wanted to bring up a couple points. One, super easy to install. Two, just super cool. You know, in a world where most cycling computers are only black or gray, I thought it was a really innovative design for them to put this uh, ability to change color. I ended up getting a white color kit, so my computer's black and white, kind of like a penguin or a tuxedo. I was grappling with some of the other colors, but felt like between switching between my bikes... White was going to be a good choice, but I'm super stoked by the way it looks. So that was a hell of a lot of fun. So I wanted to mention that to you before we talk about some of the amazing attributes of the Karoo 2. I've been talking time and time again about how much in love I am with the climbing feature. The climbing feature will actually bring the hill climb right onto your dashboard of your computer as you approach it. In previous iterations of the software, You needed to download a GPS file in order for it to interpret it. But they've done a software upgrade, and now as you approach a hill, you'll see the gradients, you'll see the distance to the top, you'll see the elevation to the top, which I find super cool from a pacing perspective. That brings me back to another point that I've always been super excited about, about the Hammerhead Karoo 2, those software updates. Every two weeks, I think it is, I get an email from Karoo saying, hey, we've got a new version of the software, and sometimes it's minor updates, but other times it's these big new features that you're getting for free. Anyway, I hope you'll go over to hammerhead.io and check out the Karoo 2. I know you'll be impressed with what they've put in this tiny package. For a limited time, our listeners can get a free custom color kit and exclusive premium water bottle with purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo 2. Just visit hammerhead.io right now and use the promo code the Gravel Ride, to get yours today. This is an exclusive limited time offer only for our podcast listeners, so don't forget to use that promo code, The Gravel Ride, after adding that free custom color kit and premium water bottle into your cart with the Karoo Two. With that behind us, let's jump right into my discussion with Randall Jacobs in this week's edition of In the Dirt. Hey, buddy. Welcome to the show. Good to see you, my friend. It's been a little bit. How you been? I know. I know it been good. I mean, I can't say I've been riding a bicycle, which is always a little bit sad in my life when I'm not getting out because I don't have a lot of other athletic outlets that I'm pursuing these days. It, it sort of bums me out when I'm not consistent on the bike in any given week. But
1: beyond that, I'm doing all right. All right. I have been finally getting back on the bike. i uh, been test riding a new set of wheels uh, that we are hopefully launching in the, the very near future. Um, And otherwise, like enjoying the New England early spring, which is a mix of cold weather and then some beautiful, beautiful days with the flowers coming out and the birds chirping. So,
0: do you find yourself more motivated to
1: get outside when those days appear? Absolutely. Though not necessarily riding, I've been doing a lot of walking and hiking and canoeing, which has been delightful. But been going on some some shorter rides with my brother-in-law and I'm going to start planning some ridership meetups here in the New England area in the not too distant future.
0: Yeah, nice. Yeah, I find like the weather, the consistency of the weather in California makes it so that you don't, you're not like as driven to get outside on any given nice day, even though for God's sake, like Mill Valley and the fog where I live, like I really should be pursuing any
1: good Weather window that I can. <laughs> I mean, the the just the terrain in the Bay Area is such that um, it's always pretty motivating to get out, regardless of the time of year. Whereas in New England, we have some great riding near where I am in in uh, the Waltham area outside of Boston, uh, but it, it's it's not Mount Tam overlooking uh, the Pacific Ocean, uh, you know, just outside of SF. So uh, you know that that's a a contrast for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I i mean, I guess one nice thing that underscores my continued enthusiasm for gravel cycling. I look at my bikes in the garage and I just want to ride them. Like I know hmm. there's so much adventure out there and I'm still so stoked to ride a gravel bike these days in this summer. Um, yeah, I guess I'm in the right place doing this podcast
1: with you. Yeah. Well, and I'm I'm excited too, as the season progresses out here to get up to Vermont, get up to New Hampshire. We have um, quite a few riders in the uh, Hudson Valley area. So organizing a ride out there uh, too, which is fantastic. Like the Catskills are stunning. Um, and there's just so much in terms of like local agriculture and festivals and stuff like that to enjoy as well when out there. So there's, there's good riding ahead, easing into it this season as the weather allows yeah, I don't think you and I have chatted
0: much since you came out to California for Sea Otter. For the listener, they probably know I published a couple episodes that were Sea Otter related, did a little bit of a roundup mm-hmm. episode, which was just me kind of touching base with a bunch of people in the industry, seeing what they got going on in their booths and generally catching up with people. And then the second one, I did an episode with uh, Michelle Duffy from Lifetime and the Lifetime Grand Prix series. So those have been published since we've spoken last. But you, you and I had a nice trip out there I mean it was just nice to kind of have that energy of sea otter and see all the enthusiasm around new products and just the companies being out there in front of the, the, the
1: public and the riders Well and it's it's an event that uh, the format you know yes sea otter is still very commercial right you know it's a bunch of brands with booze they have they're product to sell and so on but unlike a lot of trade shows it's a lot more than that um, there's a there's an excitement around the events. Um, the people are genuinely excited to actually go to those booths. So it's consumer facing as opposed to, you know, what we used to have with Interbike, which was very industry facing. Um, and so you didn't, as a consumer, get the uh, consumer. I hate that word, just consuming stuff. As, as an enthusiast, as somebody who's really interested in this stuff, you could go and talk to the people behind it. Uh, that's something I love. And it seemed to be like the, the festival seemed to be thriving. It, it felt very much like it did pre-COVID, uh, which, was, yeah. which was great.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I got to demo your the wheel set you're working on the 700C version in the La Gravilla gravel yeah. race on Sunday. I you had given me the choice of riding 650B and 700C, and I was like, ah, you know, I've got these 700C tires I could throw on there that were in the garage that were 700 by 40. So I said, oh, you know, give me the 700s. And you know, normally I'm I'm all almost always riding the the 650bs unless I'm, you know, got a road wheel set on. Yeah. It was the wrong choice. I mean, those <laughs> wheels held up wonderfully, and if you were looking for someone to absolutely abuse them, I think yeah, I did a good job of that because it was very much a mountain bikie style course, mm. and um, you know, with 700 by 40, I definitely would have appreciated the the larger
1: volume tire that i can run with the 650bs which is interesting because you know i i recall you know, many years ago doing the the cross-country race um and thinking to myself you know i could do this on a drop bar mountain bike rigid most of it uh so <laughs> it seems like uh I I was not able to find any of that chunder except for for breaking bumps on some of the uh, the descents and parts of the course. But were you able were there rocks or anything else like that you were finding? Or? Yeah,
0: there was a few little rock guardy type sections. Um, I didn't. I saw a couple of people crash around me. It was just a lot of single track with a lot of breaking bumps. I mean, I think that's the yeah. downside about the event being as big as it is. Like three days, four days into the festival. You've had thousands of bikes yeah, on those yeah, yeah. trails so i think that day being the last day of the event like we definitely suffered from more braking bumps than usual so
1: it and was tricky bumps, you know always ahead. Ahead. like there's there's not yeah. a single bike that breaking bumps are fun on it's just it, yeah on a on a dual suspension you know long travel bike they suck less <laughs> but they're never good
0: I was kicking myself because I did have a bike at home in the garage with a gravel suspension fork on it, Mm -hmm. and it totally would have been the call. And further, I had a lot going through my mind because further on my mind as I was getting the the crap beat out of me was I also hadn't reinstalled my redshift stem. So I was Mm. going on narrower tires. I had removed the redshift stem, which I usually count on for a little bit of suspension on the front end. So all across the board. I was getting the crap beat out of me. That said, I, I had a good time, and I, I mentioned this. I think in my episode with Michelle Duffy from Lifetime, like I, for one, appreciate gravel courses that are technically challenging and are pushing just different uh, sort of levers of your skill set as a cyclist. Uh, because I just think the, the sport needs that. It, we we yeah. should have you know the entire spectrum from. Mixed surface rides that have, you know, predominantly road riding, like some of the grasshoppers that spatter in forty percent dirt, to things mm-hmm. like this, which are, you know, hundred percent and dirt and very technical.
1: Yeah, it was also really great to to connect with friends there too. Um, you know, again, it having been so with COVID, like the trade shows haven't been happening, so I have a, a lot of friends in the industry who, you know, they're they're product product developers or engineers or or other other founders or or so mm-hmm. on. And just to reconnect, like there's it's an industry where people know each other and and there's a lot of very close personal friendships that are you know developed over the years of meeting people at trade shows and maybe you collaborate on something maybe you don't but at the end of the day like it, it's an industry that tends to be less cutthroat and a lot more collaborative. Um, even amongst competing companies. And that's that's something that I, I missed and, and got a nice taste of too. Plus we saw some fellow uh, you know podcasters and content creators and so on, uh, a bunch of journalists there as well too. Uh, so it was great to connect there too. Yeah, Zach exactly. It's kind of uh, like- Travel by California.
0: It's kind of like summer camp. It's just like one of those things, like you see the, the people that you met you know, probably maybe haven't seen for a year, and then you run into them, and there's just this great congeniality to the those encounters, um, yeah. as you were mentioning.
1: Yeah. Anyone listening, so also- if you ever have an opportunity to go to Sea otter in Monterey, I, I do think it's one of those experiences. Like it is, it is the sort of thing where um, it's it's a special event, and it's still a special event after all these years. I find.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Like I have this inclination, particularly for events that I'm riding. Towards newness, like as much as yeah. I love some of the things I've done, I do like to put new ones on the calendar because, you know, as a family man, I, I don't have unlimited weekends to go off and do races. So oftentimes I've got to pick, you know, the two or three that I'm going to be able to do in a year. And it's hard because as much as I love going back for that summer camp feeling, and again, like testing yourself against a course that you already know is amazing, like I do tend towards, uh, new events. And I, I'm always conflicted. I'm always yeah. conflicted on that. Yeah. yeah. So there was there was some professional racing that went on, and you know I mentioned this and we talked about it with Michelle Duffy from the Lifetime Grand Prix as it was the kickoff to that event, and I, I, we won't drill into it too much. But Mariah Wilson won on the the gravel. Uh, sorry, the it's really a cross country mountain bike race, which was the first mm-hmm. race of this Lifetime Grand Prix, and they were riding mountain bikes. And Keegan Swenson won the the second one. And then Mariah's having a smashing uh, spring campaign because she just won BWR San Diego as well. Oh wow! Which, which on paper they're two dramatically different races, right? The the um, the Sea Otter Classic was a cross country mountain bike race, and BWR is a road race with some significant gravel sections in it. So pretty mm-hmm. cool to see. I'm a fan of Mariah. She was on the podcast earlier in the year. She lives in San Francisco at this point, but also used to live in Mill Valley. So great to see her kicking off the season with a lot of gusto. Yeah. And then on, on the men's side, um, Alexi Vermillon finally got a big victory on on at BWR. It's funny. I was introduced to him last year at, at Envy as the fastest guy you don't actually know yet mm. and super, super, super nice guy from Michigan. Um did a bunch of road racing earlier on his career. And I think this is going to be a breakout year for him. Very
1: cool. Yeah. This (laughs) miss those days a little bit chasing. I wish, I wish gravel racing was a thing back in my days. It's I find that the format is uh, it's just a lot of fun. And there's so much variety versus the cross country, which tends to be more focused.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is changing a bit. You know, I, I heard some people commenting about like how important the start was in uh, at, at any sea otter event. Like, you really had to come out of the gate quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, that that was one thing that that sort of pushed me out of mountain bike racing. Like, I just mm-hmm. got annoyed that you know you, you should be on like a trainer and spinning your legs out, and you had to get to the start line if you weren't first you know, in the first row or the first couple rows, you were pretty much hosed unless you had exponentially more power than the rest of the field.
1: Even then, um, an anecdote, like I, I have experience, um, the elite field one year was like 160 people or something like that. And I was lined up 130th, the one year I did like a UCI, the, the one time I did a UCI race. And yeah, exactly that. Like you're not even, the, the people who are in the front are already at the single track, the trailhead, by the time you're moving off the back, like there's this huge slinky effect. And then you have all this single yeah. track was nowhere to pass. The only place to pass is on a climb. Oftentimes you're on this climb where you're taking the shoulder to get around people. And so, you know, at best, like a, a, a top elite athlete might be able to pick their way up, you know, two thirds of the field or something. But there's so much blocking and everything else that, uh, yeah, I'm fully with you in that in that frustration with those types of courses.
0: Yeah, and I I remember thinking to myself as I was mountain bike racing and I dabbled a little bit in road racing, it was so nice that when a road race start gun went off, you know people were slowly clipping yeah. in; they weren't doing <laughs> anything quickly.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though I have been to crits where where somebody went off the gun and tried to lap the field. <laughs> it is yeah. always that yeah. too.
0: I'm not gonna lie. Like I wouldn't when I raced a few crits in Colorado. I wasn't opposed to going early because it was literally the only time I was gonna be in the front of the race. So if there was an <laughs> early preem, I was happy to bury myself for it. And again, I you know not to toot my own horn, but I, I did win a frosty from a local a local ice cream shop in one crit in
1: Boulder. I mean just go ahead and brag Craig I mean that's a big deal. What what flavor did you get? <laughs> no, I think I want cookies and cream. <laughs> good choice. Good choice. Yeah yeah. Um so, right, another, so we were- another
0: thing I wanted Yeah oh, I wanted to chat with you. I just was going to say I wanted to chat with you about a bike that came across my desk this week. Interested. Again always interested to get your perspective and always interested for the listener just to kind of tech, contextualize trends we're seeing in the industry and new bikes coming out. So the bike is from felt and it's mm-hmm. the breed carbon. And frankly, I'd been a little bit surprised that, um, felt did not have a carbon gravel bike that was kind of on point in their lineup over the last couple of years. Cause I remember when the trans Rockies gravel Royale race was announced, they announced a felt partnership. And I was thinking to myself, this has to include a new bike because nothing against their their other breed models, but the carbon model is what I think people were looking for. So, have you had a chance mm-hmm. to take a look at this bike?
1: Yeah, so I'm looking at it right now. And uh, what do you what do you want? Well, what were your impressions first off before I dive yeah. in with mine? I mean,
0: first impressions were that you know it's on point with the industry today. I think they've they've taken a, a slightly distinct point of view with the tube dimensions and shapes that gives it sort of a, a rather unique look to it. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously pro bikes. I th- think it's progressive to have big tire accommodations. They've got a little bit of suspension dampening around the collar of the seat post, which I think is interesting and useful. They've made it so that it is it is dropper capable and dropper ready, which mm-hmm. I think is great. The front end's really clean. I think they did a beautiful job with the with the paint job. So I think it's, again, on point as an option for, for gravel cyclists, particularly with a little bit more orientation towards the adventure side of the sport.
1: Yeah, I see. I think the aesthetics are are generally well executed. Tube, purport, tube shapes and proportions are nice. It's pleasing to look at. They have a, um, a 420, I believe, axle to crown fork on there, which is you know, for those uh, who don't know their fork geometry numbers offhand, um, that's for suspension fork corrected. Uh, so you could put a suspension fork from you know Fox or or Shocks on there, and it wouldn't yeah, change the geometry.
0: I think that's super interesting. Just to kind of nail that point home, as you talk, you and I talked about this in an earlier in the dirt episode as we were evaluating my own personal custom bike that I'm having mm-hmm. having built. Yeah, and. You know from a design perspective, is there any downside to
1: having that additional axle to crown height? Uh, the, the main things I can think of would be um, it can be hard to get the aesthetics right so you're gonna end up with a bigger gap, especially if you want something that's more of a one bike. so if you want to put road wheels on there, the radius of those wheels is going to be significantly less than say uh, a, you know a two nine or by two point you know two right so you're gonna yeah. end up with a bigger gap. You're going to end up with a shorter head tube. So, you know, torsional flex at the head tube is going to be um, greater with, you know, ceteris paribus. So the only way around that is to reinforce it with more carbon up there. But those aren't major issues. Um, In the case of your bike, what we did was we essentially said, when you put a suspension fork on this bike, we're also assuming that you're going to be riding more technical terrain and would like a slightly more slacked out geo. And so we optimized your geo for a slightly shorter fork. Um, rigid fork and then just assumed like it would be slightly taller when you put the fork on and it actually changes the characteristics in a way that's desirable. I don't think this is neither here nor there, but what I think they got right is if you're going to have a suspension corrected fork length, I think the aesthetics and the, the way that it's integrated here, uh, the proportionality of the bike is is quite nice and you don't always yeah. see that on bikes like this.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I do, I do imagine this is going to start to become more of a trend and a selling attribute for bikes. I know talking to the team at Otso, they've been telling me that their bikes have been suspension corrected for a couple of years now. And mm-hmm. I think we're starting to see more mainstream brands think about it. Obviously you've got a number of options on forks now from the Rock fork to the Fox, uh, SR Suntour has a, a gravel fork. Um, there's one other I'm forgetting. Anyway, they're out there and they're yeah. starting to become viable options for people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And this is a nice to have like buying a bike that's suspension corrected. If you don't want the handling to change when, if you add a fork, um, it is also possible to design a bike where when like, like we did with yours, when you add a fork, the handling is still, um, has desirable characteristics for that more rugged mode with the fork. Um, yeah, but, but yeah. So That's one thing I liked. Let's see. T47 bottom bracket. That's a good standard. Um, they do it slightly differently. It's the, the bearing offset is uh, slightly asymmetrical, but people shouldn't be afraid by that. It just means you you use more or less spacers on the, the, uh, the cranks so it, it doesn't affect compatibility. It's not a new standard. I like the mounts that they have, extra mounts on the down tube for being able to put a third bottle in the larger sizes. Yeah, there
0: there was a lot of mounts. I was surprised I saw the number of eyelets. So you think by looking at it on a larger size, you might be able to stack two two bottle cages?
1: Uh, yeah, I actually see that in one of their diagrams. Okay, uh, it might be the smaller bottles, but I'm seeing yeah one on one on the bottom of the down tube, two on the top of the the down tube, one uh, on the seat tube. I'm not sure what size that is, but yeah, it's a, it's a nice to have. I don't think it's absolutely critical, but it's definitely a nice to have. Yeah, I agree. So, all right. Anything that you disliked about it?
0: I mean, I'd have to dig in more. Uh, yeah. To that, the only th- the only thing that popped out to me was the way they route the the cables mm-hmm. into the center of that tube. I, I was, it didn't immediately dawn on me why you would want to do that. It seems like putting it a little bit to the side or the bottom gives you cleaner cable lines.
1: Yeah, I I really don't like this way of doing things. Is um. I don't know if the current one does, but like the old, the old, the original 3D, 3 T Exploro did the same thing. And yeah. it just results, um, even with wireless electronic shifting, you still have the the rear brake hose going in there and you just have a, this big chunky exposed hose going all the way in and potentially rubbing on the head tube. I think that, you know, it should go into the top of the head tube and drop in to the down tube from there. And then if you have mechanical shifting, um, there's going to be a bunch of binding in that just given how it's routed, like there's no way to get a clean run through the frame. And so I, I think that the, the routing there is a miss as well.
0: Yeah. 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 How um, about you? Any
1: other, any other dislikes on it? Uh, so this, you know, there's a, like a system, like a shim system that if you use a, a 27 two seat post, it um, introduces a little bit more flex. It's like an elastomer or something in there. Um, I don't like how it's executed. It uses a, basically a, a, a shim that, uh, compresses the the seat post in a way that could be uneven so like could result in binding or in a dropper post or slippage Uh, i don't know if this one is going to have those issues but i've seen those issues come up constantly i really don't like uh non-traditional style seat clamps if you you know look for a bike that has a seat clamp that goes around the collar um the let's see it's not really a one bike but not everyone who's buying this is looking for that. But you know, the wheelbase is a little bit long. The head tube is a little bit slacker than what you'd want for you know a bike that is designed to be used with you know 700 by 30 tires as well. Um, it could you know it could be done, but it's it's definitely outside of what I would consider still within the endurance road range. Um, it's still using 29er tires on the like 700 by uh, 2.0 or, or 29 by 2.0. On the smaller sizes, I think that smaller sizes should be built around 650B because toe overlap and slacking out geos and things like that. And it's just expensive. It's 5000 plus bucks for the GRX Mechanical. Uh, better have carbon wheels for that price. I don't, I don't see a full spec list here yet.
0: Yeah, yeah. So- Valid points. Valid points for the buyer or would-be buyer. I do think the overall package and aesthetics and the way this bike looks is probably going to Excite a lot of people, even with yeah. some of those little,
1: little minor things that could be improved. Well, and I should say the pricing is not out of line with what we're seeing from a lot of major brands generally. There's been significant inflation in the in the market and a uh, trend towards you know more premium. But what you get for the yeah. extra money is not always always clear.
0: Yeah, you know, I was I actually. Uh, was listening in on an economist speak today about some of the things going on in China and not to derail this entirely, but it does look like the supply chain's gonna remain messy across every industry for <laughs>
1: for the rest the rest of the year. Yeah, that that that's a whole nother episode, my friend. I've been in the muck with that uh, heavily. Uh was on a call this morning actually with one of our vendors. So uh, yeah, that that's something I can it's, give you some some info on
0: it it's crazy i mean we won't derail the conversation with that but uh gosh i was like yet again another nine months of uncertainty around the supply chain and we're talking about whether you're getting food products bicycle products computer products you name it we're gonna have some effects remaining throughout the rest of the year so i guess this is another time that if you can get your hands on a bike or a product do it when you can
1: speaking of which may may i make a small plug here yeah, you bet. Um, so we, uh, we now have bikes in stock, um, you know, ready to be custom built to ride a spec. And we also just brought back our bring a friend program. So basically, if you are um, if you are an existing thesis rider, you can invite your friend. We'll give them 300 bucks off. If you're not an existing thesis rider, uh, you find a friend to, to get a bike at the same time or a frame set or a one of our a la carte builds. We'll honor it there too. Um, then we'll give both of you $300 off your thesis. So that brings it down to $3,700 with electronic shifting and a really high quality aluminum wheel set. Uh, So if you're looking for a bike, thesis.bike, there's a link in the header there and uh, we can have a personal conversation about your next bike. Nice.
0: Yeah, that's a good good tip and good timing on that. Like I said, I (laughs) honestly feel like if you need a bike and you need a Grupo, like bring out, if your purchase was going to be in the next like three to five, six months, do whatever you can to bring that purchase in just to get a bike. Because I think the bike industry slightly got back on top of the supply chain and there's a bit of inventory in the channel now. But I suspect like come midsummer and towards the end of the summer, we're going to be all like scratching our heads in pain about we can't get chains, we can't get brake pads and things like that.
1: Well, and there's a lot of uncertainty too as as Pretty much everyone, I would imagine, is aware in just the geopolitical situation, which could spill over into supply chains out of Asia as well uh, for, again, reasons that would be uh, a whole nother episode too. Um, yeah. So, um, And by the way, if you're looking for guidance on, on bikes to look at, uh, the ridership is a great place for that too. Another plug there. Uh, there's a lot of conversation where people post like, hey, I'm thinking about do- getting this or I'm going to build up that. And it's been remarkable, the quality of feedback and just the, the the kindness and helpfulness that's been, uh, you know, emerging uh, within the community. So any any of our uh, members who are listening, uh, thank you. It's it's amazing to see. Um, it's, you know, we just set it up and then all of you took it and made it your own. And if you're not in there yet, go to theridership.com and sign up. Yeah. You're so good at the plugs today, Randall. <laughs> <laughs> It's, um, you know, I send people there all the time and, you know, it's, it's a labor of love. Like I, I cannot believe what it has become. And just the, again, the, the kindness that's fostered there. I'd, lo- I'd love to deal yeah. with it and expand it.
0: Same here. I mean, I know my enthusiasm for it has always been slightly selfish. Like I just always wanted a place that if I was going to LA or Palm Springs or Tucson, like I could put a note in there and some local can, tell me about a, a route or a bike shop or something. And it, I mean, it, it has that in spades and it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's just totally a free resource for the community. So yeah. Well, and
1: I, I learned so much too, like one person, no matter how much long they've been in the industry, how many things they've ridden can only know so much. So like whenever somebody reaches out, like one of our riders will send a message like, Hey, you know, I'm thinking of doing this event and what tire should I get? And I was like, go to the ridership. <laughs> what bike packing bag should I get? Well, here's a couple of companies that I know do a good job, but go to the ridership because they, you know, they have looked at every single possible option, uh, as you well know, because yeah. you bought your bag from another ridership member who had it custom built for their thesis. Um, Indeed, I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're about
0: winding down our our time for today, but I know you wanted to sort of have a little bit of a quick discussion on some products that are coming out and just kind of how consumers should be looking at. Products and attributes as they're vocalized in the press.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm going to um, informally call this the uh, the Randall's Rants section, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I I don't know if I've spoken about it on the pod, but like the the perils of weight weenism and how like you know an obsessive focus on weight will can result in ignoring other things that are really important. And and you know, this is wheels are one example. Um, and you can end up compromising on things like, uh, you know, aluminum nipples, with, which seize and and, and uh, tend to split and fail. Uh, so you know, you save forty grams versus brass, uh, or you know, rims that you know compromise on width or that don't include a bead hook when you need them to be safe on a on a uh, tubeless road setup. You know, there's all these things. But if you're going to make a claim about the weight of your product. Make it an accurate claim. And if you're reporting on the weight of a product, make it an, you know, actually weigh the product and put that in your headline versus the manufacturer's uh, claims. There's a set of wheels that came out claiming 1,270 grams. The two um, articles that I saw, one weighed them at 1,350, the other weighed them at 1,363. Um, And so even if I assume, like, okay, that maybe they're not including the tape and the valve stems, well, that's 20 or so grams. Let's be generous, 25 grams per wheel. There's 50 grams per wheel. We're still not at 1270. Let's say that you know we take in manufacturing tolerances uh, on the weight of the, of the rim, which can be as much as 5% on the rim. Well, even that, we're, we're still not quite there. And we could even take into account something ridiculous like you know there's a 0.7% variation in the strength of the gravitational pull of the earth, depending on where you're located. So let's <laughs> say that, yeah, like even then, I don't get there. And so... I saw a lot of headlines that cited these wheels at you know 13, you know 1270 grams. It's like, no, they're not. And they're 2,500 bucks. And you know that's a whole nother question like is there you know, what do you get for a $2500 wheel set versus some wheels that are coming in considerably less but utilizing the same technology? Uh, so that's my rant for the day. Like don't be a weight weenie, but if you're going to obsess about weight, um, don't believe the hype. Look at the actual measured uh, weights and you know expect that your sources should do so as well.
0: Yeah, those are good tips. It's funny, you know i I consider weight. Well, let's put it that way. Yeah, but I've also learned as a gravel cyclist to move away from that because yeah. durability, particularly the way and where I ride, so much more important than weight. And frankly, and this has been the case my entire life there's definitely plenty of weight I can drop a lot less inexpensively (laughs) off my body than my bike.
1: Yeah. 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 No. And and there's certain things like for consumer grades, uh, for consumer, what a terrible word. Um, For for like the the general public um, that is not sponsored, that doesn't have a team car driving up behind them, some grams are just not worth saving. Like having a super lightweight frame built with ultra high modulus carbon Means that it's going to be more brittle. So if you crash, it's gonna it's gonna fail more more likely to fail. Uh, aluminum nipples don't do it. Um, you know, this this various other things that that uh, fall into. Maybe I'll write an article at some point about like all the ways not to save weight on your bike. We'll do yeah, we'll, I think we'll be do an episode at some point.
0: Yeah, that'd be interesting. And uh, yeah, definitely put that out into the ridership. I think it would be interesting to get people's feedback and maybe lifetime experience of things that they you know, routes that they thought they should go down to save weight on their bike and where they've ultimately
1: ended up. Remember Drillium, that hyper-advanced material that was basically whatever material the component came in, um, with holes drilled in it. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just remember back in the early days of mountain biking, everybody like replacing every single bolt on their bike for lighter weight, either titanium or aluminum bolts. And the herculean efforts people went through to
1: lose weight Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. while at the same time like not getting a bike fit and like (laughs) not optimizing the 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 weight of their body uh or taking care of the things that actually matter to make you faster or maybe prioritize the quality and enjoyment of the ride experience
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i I do think that that last statement is something that the gravel industry has, has done a good job of at least orienting itself around the enjoyment and pleasure of gravel riding riding versus you know ultimate performance or ultimate yeah. lightweightness.
1: Though, yeah. though the the arrow claims and all that are starting to, to filter into gravel as well. So we'll do our part with uh, the the rant section of the podcast now to to try to keep things <laughs> honest.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna have to muster up some anger <laughs> so I can rant about
1: things. Ah uh, not anger. It's more just like uh well you know I just want people to know. And 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 certainly yeah. hold me yeah. accountable if I ever get something wrong too. Everyone who's listening,
0: yeah. Uh, and that place to let Randall know how you feel, <laughs>
1: for that matter, is in is in the ridership. Just come in and, pub- and leave a comment. A, a public forum set up specifically so that listeners can tell me where I got things wrong. <laughs> <laughs> On that That's note, because we want
0: everybody to tell Randall what he's gotten wrong this <laughs> week. <laughs> Great to catch up for a few. I actually got to jump on the mic for another recording right now. We'll see you soon.
1: Good to see you, my friend. Be well.
0: That's going to do it for this week's edition of In the Dirt from the Gravel Ride podcast. Thanks for spending a little bit of your week with us this week. If you're interested in giving us any feedback or have any interest in volleying over some ideas for future episodes, please join the ridership. That's www.theridership.com. It's a free global cycling community and the best way to get feedback to myself and Randall. If you're able to support the show, please visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride. Or if you have a moment, ratings and reviews are hugely important to the podcast game, so I appreciate those as well. Big thanks to this week's sponsor, Hammerhead. Make sure to check out the Karoo 2 computer over at hammerhead.io and use that promo code, ride. That's going to do it for this week. Until next time. Here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.